Okay, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com uh, again, and let me welcome you back to the Island College Basketball Podcast, which is now brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, uh, go to squarespace.com slash CBSSports. Use the offer code FUN. That's FUN at squarespace.com slash CBSSports. All right, let's get into it. The final four is now over. College basketball season is now over. We had planned to uh, perhaps uh, do another podcast on the Tuesday after the national championship game, but that is a travel day. We were all exhausted. Plus, Matt Norlander had been uh, spent early, early hours of Tuesday stomping on a homeless person <laughs> in, in Dealey Plaza. We'll get to that in just a moment for certain. But first, let me welcome Jeff Porzello and Matt Norlander. How are you, fellas? I'm fantastic. I was up for 10 hours last night. I, I, I tried to go to bed early. I went to bed at like... Nine o'clock. Like you didn't I, even wa- you didn't watch the women's game, Parish. I did not watch the women's game. I apologize. Should I? Should I have watched it? Uh, yeah. It's Oriana's <laughs> ninth championship. Oh, should I see? I, I sometimes <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you anything about it, but I know what happened. Yeah, I didn't watch it. I've never. I, I don't want to say I've never watched a women's basketball game. That's not true. I, I um, you know, every when you when you're young, like when I was your age, Porzello, you would end up covering when you're working at a newspaper. You know, a random women's basketball game here or there. But I've never, I've never followed the sport closely. Although I am familiar with Gino Rem, I know who he is. I had to talk about it on leadoff last night, so I had to watch some of it. Yeah, they uh, they they they. Let me drop that in there. No big deal. They uh, no. Ahead. Well, they they asked me to go on leadoff last night before you. They they also asked me. And I said, <laughs> you were the third pick, Borzella. <laughs> you guys don't have the expertise I have on Gino Oriema. No, the truth what? is, I could not, and uh, I just could like you know. Th- this is the the great thing about being single. Or one of the great things about being single <laughs> is that when you get home, you don't really have any responsibilities. Like, I'd been gone for like seven straight nights. I can't come home and then say, I got to take a shower and put on a, a sport coat and, and talk to Allie LaForce on, uh, on uh, Skype uh, when, uh, you know, we got to, you know, I've just been uh, uh, at, you know, on the road forever. I had to spend time with the family. And of course, I tried to do that when I got home. And then I fell asleep at like nine o'clock. And then guess what happened? Woke up at like 1230, was up till like four in the morning. Couldn't go back to sleep. I couldn't sleep consecutive hours. Hours. That's, I that's unfortunate. That you're, are you, are you, so you're not well rested yet? I'm not well rested. No, I'm not well rested at all. I'm still tired as hell. In fact, I gotta go. I gotta get a nap in right now. <laughs> okay, I well, Borzell and I can take over the podcast and we'll wake you up halfway through. Yeah, we'll crush it. No big deal. Uh, Nor- uh, Norlander, do you want do you want to explain why you stopped on a homeless man after the national yeah. championship game in Dealey Plaza? Uh, they so got it. Is this what we really want to like? We want to. That was that was one of the highlights. There were there were many highlights. We're I like I promise we're going to talk plenty about basketball. But I don't just make promises. That. You don't know that's true. Wow. I'm gonna. You don't want to. You don't want to promise that we're going to talk basketball. I just. Ne- I just never. I never really know where we're going to end up. With we're going to talk about historians and homeless people. <laughs> we're going to talk uh, about you. You. I, you. You stomping on a homeless. That guy has been. Matt I, I, Nor- no, you know what? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, you didn't even see it happen. If I hadn't said anything, you wouldn't have even known about it, okay? Because you and Borzello were hiding behind the fence like the second shooter. We were trying to see the the angle from what the second shooter would have been. We were trying to crack this conspiracy, Norlander. Sorry we're trying to figure out mysteries, man. Hey, hey, sorry we're trying to figure out how the president was killed. You know what? That's a fresh angle. Um, so the, the, the title game ends, and we're riding back in the car with, with Goodman, who we basically used because he was the only one that had a rental car. He thought he was like back in the gang. Little did he know that he was basically our, our easy ride. So uh, we're riding back, and Parrish is like, 
Yeah, it's DZ Pl- Dealey Plaza right there. Let's go. So it's 2.40 in the morning. That's not true. Let me stop you right there. That is true. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. You guys have never been to Dealey Plaza. Because right. because I'm, I'm a red-blooded American, I've been to Dealey Plaza multiple times in my life. And and so you guys have been talking all week about we got to go to Dealey Plaza. We got to go by and see uh, the grassy knoll. And and you had never done it for because you were out drinking every night and sleeping <laughs> in every day. And so finally, for, right and, 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 and finally, for... For the for you guys, I said, listen, I know you. I know how badly you've wanted to go by Dealey Plaza this whole week. Um, this is your last opportunity. It is right there if you want to drive over there. And so I was merely opening a door so that you guys. I could really be- wanted to see it. I was pumped. I wanted to see it all week, but pa- uh, Goodman never wanted to go see it because he was drinking all all every night and yeah, sleeping and in as well. He doesn't care about American right, history. So we, doesn't so care about American. To, history. We pull up to Dealey Plaza at two forty-five in the morning, and it's kind of eerie and creepy, and just like the fact that we're there at that time and it's it's a simple like it's kind of you know when you when you hear about some historical sites they can be so i don't know small or just you get you get what i'm saying like it's just like right there in a kind of an open spot and um next to the grassy knoll like there's two x's in the ground in the in the road where kennedy was shot and then there's a grassy knoll and then how would you describe what that structure is that we you kind of walk through i don't know how to how to describe the, it the grassy like, knoll no, the wall with with all the stuff there. How would you describe what that is? I would just describe it as I would. I would have left that out of the story. Yeah. Okay, you would. <laughs> it's essential I, I, to the story. I, I would have talked, I would have talked about the structure. Of the road. There's, there's a structure there, and the point is, there was a homeless man that was blending in with his surroundings because he was nudged up against the wall in Be- the darkness. I could not see him. I went to go take a photo of. Of the perspective of basically right in front of where you two were creeping out, maybe making out behind this fence. Hey, hey, hey. It was, it was bizarre. And I give it two more days. I didn't see him even after you pointed it out. And Norlander, let me, let me ask you a question. And and, and I'm being serious right now. What does it say about you (laughs) that you don't even notice homeless people lying on the ground anymore? He was a ninja. Okay. (laughs) I did not see him at all. Have you become so numb to poverty in our country? Staying in your five-star hotels, ordering your room service, going to your private parties, sitting courtside at the Final Four. Have you become so numb to poverty in our country? That they're, just, they're just speed bumps to him. Yeah, yeah. that you don't even notice. Like That man has been through it. He, he has reached a point in his life where he's lying on the ground in public just trying to get his sleep on trying to figure out the jfk mystery it's trying to figure out what happened and you and you just so like you don't even notice it you don't even notice it you just step right on his head oh, uh it wasn't his head it was i think a cat. Oh, how would you know because I, I i felt the firmness of bone basically oh wow and uh and then it, it creeped me the hell out and uh i apologize i apologized to him I couldn't tell if he was conscious or not, and then uh, basically ran as far away as possible. It wasn't well, oh, oh, you were oh. kind of freaked out. You were like shaking. You were like sh- shaking your feet and shaking your whole body. So let me yes. ask another question then. What does it say about you that you will stomp on a man and then run away without stopping even for a moment to say, sir, can I, can I help you? Is there anything I could do to maybe? Well, a couple of things. One, I did apologize to him. Two, if it had been you, I don't even think you would have gone that far with it. No, I help. I help people all the time. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. Parish would have offered him a hot meal. A hot meal, warm meal. There's no chance yep. that would have happened. And I give it until Friday before Goodman posts that photo of you two behind the fence at Dealey Plaza. Yeah, over there investigating, like we're true, yeah. like we're like we're like we're true detectives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like the Hardy Boys, more like it. <laughs> we're back um, back there, oh, back there acting like Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey trying to figure yeah. this thing out. I'll be McConaughey. 
<laughs> yeah, you probably are McConaughey. <laughs> in the, in the, in the, is, is, if we're signing roles, you're probably McConaughey. I'll give you that. <laughs> All right, so uh, you want to talk about these games? Or? Oh, yeah, Connecticut won a national championship. That was something, wasn't it? They won two national championships. Oh, well, yeah, the other one I forgot about. Anyway, yeah, congratulations to the women as well. Yeah, that was pretty wild, right? I yeah. mean, honestly, kind of ridiculous that UConn's won two of the past four. I mean, it's it's actually amazingly ridiculous. But, hey, it's the best program in the past 15 years now, right? To win, two, to win two out of four, go on probation, and have to change coaches is pretty crazy. It is uh, it is absolutely <laughs> insane. I mean, it's the, like when you think about this team that won, and then consider like the, the 99 and 04 teams, I mean, just totally different kind of teams in, in different eras but over that decade and a half span i mean uconn has really become uh the pre- most prestigious program in, in college hoops right i mean no, no one has that's many not titles. true that's not you know true. why okay so i think they're the most successful in the past century yeah, yeah. Like so in, in this that's true. I mean, they're 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 clearly a top five program when you turn and look at the coach they have, the pros they put in, the success they've had in the tournament. They made another Final Four, so they've been to five. They go one out of every three years. Meanwhile, you know, Duke's been right there. Kentucky's mostly been right there, but it had some down years. So why isn't Connecticut the top program of the past fifteen years? Oh, I, if you want to, I'm sure you could come up with a bullet point resume that would suggest they're the most sex uh, successful. But to try to, to use the word prestigious, and I don't think it even right. comes close. I mean, like, I, all prestigious, I know... Uh, prestigious doesn't always have to do with how successful you are. Well, that's like, fair. That's a, that's a bad choice of word, right? Yeah, there. like, if you... I, I, I know this. Um, if you take, what you know, your, your mid-major basketball team, and you are suddenly able to schedule a home-and-home home with, like, a high-major team, and it's, like, the biggest moment in the history of your program, and, and you can get anybody coming in, who, what excites your fans more? North Carolina does, Duke does, Kentucky does. I think Kansas probably does. Like there's, I think there's a, a handful of teams. Yeah, that, but yeah, and those teams are also yeah, because yeah, now we're talking two different things because those programs have decades upon decades of history that you know go with their name. While Calhoun bait built nothing out of farmland into just this ridiculous program. Like it is, it is silly that UConn is this good at at both men's and women's basketball. No, it's it's all like you've been there. Of course, you've been there, right? Oh I mean, yeah, it's yeah. Just yeah, it, it's that. That's it, the place you build two basketball it's, powers. It's is pretty ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah, yes. no, it's no. I'll, I'll give you that. I, I just think that when I when the word prestigious means maybe something different to me than yeah. No, the, you're, the, you're right. No, I, you're, yeah, I meant yeah. I meant over the past fifteen years. Now it's just it's it's got you know more bragging rights than anyone because it's got more titles. It's got that extra Final Four, all those pros with a Hall of Fame coach, and now with another coach who. Did it mostly with Calhoun's players, but still, like, for him to have done this with this team, which I don't think is as good as the 2011 team. Uh, and you but, said earlier, like last week, that the 2011 team was the worst national championship team ever. So that I mean, so now that's the second worst, and this one's the, the worst. This one's the absolute no, worst. No, I don't know about that. I don't think I said it was. I said it was one of the worst. You think um, which team you think was better this year, or 2011? 2011 team, I think, was better because I would say Kemba was better than Shabazz, but Shabazz was unreal, and I think that Oriaki was pretty solid. Um, yeah, I would take the 2011 group. It was, it was, it had a better year. This was a seven seed, the first seven seed ever to win the title. Um, Tyler, yeah. Tyler, Tyler Olander got more minutes on that team, which is which is wild, right? Freshman Tyler Olander versus senior Tyler Olander, and freshman Tyler Olander was better. And it's just weird. I, I love Tyler Olander. He became my go-to quote over the weekend. He was great. 
Yeah, anytime I need somebody to give me the perfect quote, I just go to Tyler Olander. He was awesome. He awesome. Like my favorite, my favorite Husky outside of Shabazz. Speaking of Shabazz, what did you guys make of his uh, post game moment on the stage just before one shining moment with Jim Nance? Jim Nance asked him basically, "What's it like to fulfill your dreams?" And Shabazz hit him with a, "Let me get everybody's attention." What did you make? Seriously, of that? I mean that was a was that was awesome. like a wedding. Like in terms of getting everyone's attention from a wedding toast angle, Borzella, did you want to take it though? I mean, I I didn't have a comparison to a wedding toast, but uh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying though. He's like, I need everyone to be quiet, please be quiet, because he he wanted everyone to hear. That was it, that it was, was a bad. statement. It was a it was a big time. I mean, I and I think it was kind of perfect because you know it's it's you know kind of what they were. You know, they ever they were basically forgotten a year ago, and because of the NCAA, nobody really cared about them. Just aside from the whole Jim Calhoun thing. Um, but you know, it, it was, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of perfect. I know it made, got some controversy, but I thought it was perfect. It was perfect because we don't have college athletes that are now maybe because Napier, I wonder if Napier is a junior and they do that, you know, and they're not banned, whatever, just in that kind of situation. If he wasn't going to come back for a year, if he still makes that kind of statement, but he knows that, you know, that's his final game. He's never going to play in a UConn uniform again. Right. And he's willing to make that kind of statement. We don't get players that say that kind of stuff ever forget about after winning a title and talking to millions of people across the country. Um, I admire the hell out of him for doing it, to be honest. I mean, and his wording was very particular. He had this whole hungry Huskies thing, which is a double entendre Love we can hungry debate about whether, you know, he ever went to bed hungry. But the point is he was kind of getting a greater message across there. So for him to do that and GP, you wrote, you know, you dedicated your postgame column to it. Uh, I thought it was absolutely terrific. And I'm, I wish more players would be willing to be uh, as outspoken as, Napier was in that moment, and he, Napier had been outspoken to a lesser degree leading up to it, but um, I think we'd see more change and impact and discussion about the things he was talking about if we had more high-profile players in basketball and football willing to say that stuff. I thought it was terrific for those reasons on that stage. I've, I've talked to uh, some people. I was on with John Feinstein earlier today, and he, he loved that Shabazz tried to make a point, didn't think that was the proper place to, to make that point, and I actually... I, I thought it was perfect place. I thought it was the perfect place because right. you will never again. I mean, you could do it in a Sunday afternoon breakout room, right, in, in at the at AT and T Stadium, but you're never going to have that stage again where you've got eighty thousand fans in the building looking at you. You've got literally millions, tens of mil- millions across the world looking at you, and that is. And I didn't get into all of this in the column, but you know, given where we're at with the NCAA, there was a quote that surfaced yesterday from John Calipari. Comparing the NCAA to the old Soviet Union and, and, and saying, listen, you know, it was still it still existed. It was still strong. It could still hurt you. But um, you could see it crumbling and, and getting to a point to where it was going to have to change or cease to exist. That's what the NCAA is now. And though I don't always uh, agree with everything John says, I, I think that's a pretty good uh, comparison. You look at the NCAA now, you can see it crumbling. They're going to have to change in a significant way or cease to exist. And so... Um, I, I thought it was, you know, given that that's the sort of the landscape of the NCAA right now, and Mark Emmert held a press conference literally 24 hours earlier at which he made himself look silly again, not because he's a dumb man or an unintelligent man or an unreasonable man, but because he makes millions of dollars off of the current system. And so you say what you got to say. Like Bill Hancock, the guy who is the spokesperson for – once upon a time, the BCS, now the college football playoff, 
he's the sweetest man in the world, and he used to uh, consistently make himself look stupid by trying to defend the BCS and telling you how college uh, football would crumble if if you ever had a playoff. And then what happened? They, we get a playoff, and they hire him to say good things about the playoff, so now yeah. he's saying good things about the playoff, and it sort of is what it is. So I don't think Mark Emmert's dumb. You get that a lot. Like, Mark Emmert's an idiot. No, Mark Emmert's not an idiot. Mark Emmert's smarter than me, smarter than you. He's smarter than most people. Uh, but he's he's in charge of a – uh, I think the phrase we decided to use the other night, Norlander, of, of a, a morally dubious organization. And and so he says what he has to say. But the idea that, that he has to say these things and he has to address these things um, and and you get the possible unionization of Division One athletes at Northwestern and all of this, the Ed O'Bannon right, That's the key. That's the backdrop yeah. to what Napier the, was saying. Right. Like just two days, three days prior, like Emmert had to give his annual State of the Union and State of the you know NCAA Union speech, so that this this comes at a a particularly tender time because as we pass on with each year, guys, I mean more and more criticism toward the NCAA, a little bit more NCAA kind of realizing what it is and how it can't stay the way it is. So that's why it was the absolute perfect time for Napier to say what he did when he did it. Exactly, and that moment, that stage, it should be given that the NCAA doesn't actually have control over the national championship game in football. That is probably the most the most innocent and biggest of all direct NCAA you know directly attached NCAA moments right you've got the NCAA president standing on a stage you've got confetti everywhere we're about to do one shining moment where you see all these kids crying and hustling and playing for the love of their school it is the most innocent moment or it's supposed to be the most innocent visible moment in in college athletics and and yet you take Shabazz Napier and and he just you know he shits on it for lack of a better <laughs> a word and, and 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 could he have made his point more eloquently? Of course he could have. Could he have made his point uh, more clearly? Surely he he could have. It, it turned into a little more than you know a, a wrestler yelling into a television camera. You know this is what happens when you banned us. You know like so there's a better way to do it. I think. But if the point is to make a point, he made a point. And to get into a conversation about who was at fault for the APR ban, I think is to miss the point entirely. And that's what you got into a little bit. I saw some people, you know, talking about, well, you know, it's 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 UConn's play, you know, it's UConn's fault that they, you know, were banned for the tournament, not the NCAA's. And I get that, right? You got to work really hard to to actually get banned uh, because of a poor APR. I mean, you got to really, really yeah. look hard, work hard. Uh, by not working hard to 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 end up in that situation, but I think his larger point, a, I I know because I talked to him afterward. His main point was that you know don't uh, don't punish us for things that had nothing to do with us, and and I actually get that on some level. Like Shabazz Napier is not the reason the AP you know the Connecticut was banned from last year's postseason. These are things that happen for the most part under a different coach and and with different players, and so I understand that frustration. Then then. His larger point, and 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 I, you know, he didn't uh, verbalize this very well. But his larger point also was like, "Get out of here with with your whole, you know, we care about academic stuff." And to me, and this is what I spent most of the column writing about. It's um, to me, it's it's just another highlighted hypocrisy that you know, you the NCAA only has APR bans and that APR thing. Because they want to pretend as an organization that they care about academics, right? They don't really care about academics. They, they care about, about pretending they care about academics. Because if you really cared about academics, two things. One, um, you wouldn't let it in North Carolina get away with a 
incredibly, you know, uh, egregious uh, academic scandal rooted in athletics. They've done nothing about that. All right. So if you cared about academics, you'd start it in Chapel Hill. B, um, if you cared about academics, like how long is it? You guys have been in school more recently than me. How long is a typical college semester? Give it to me. Um, Middle of January to what? Oh, till beginning. Mine, of- my, mine was early February until mid May. Okay, so like four yeah, months. Uh, okay, so four three months, months, right? Three and a half months. Three and a half, four months. Let's call it four, just because it so it's yeah. easy to do Let's the division. We're going to call it four. Well, uh, the Connecticut basketball team has spent the past four weeks in Memphis, Buffalo, New York, and Dallas. That's roughly a month. That's roughly 25% of the semester. So if you genuinely care about academics, why do you have a setup uh, that pulls student, quote, student athletes away from their campuses and classrooms for a solid month? Now, I know you can get a lot of work done on a computer and online classes and all that. Tutors travel with the team. and that I got all that, right? But, like, I, I also have seen the NCAA allow schools, because ESPN says we'll put it on television, to start games on school nights at 2 a.m., midnight. 11 p.m., whatever. And so if you care about academics, you know who cares about academics? The Ivy League. You know why? When do they play their games? Friday, Saturday. Friday, Saturday. Play their Friday games on Fr- they play their games on Friday night and Saturday because we're not going to miss school. You know why? Because we care about academics. So if an Ivy League president or Ivy League athletic director wanted to stand up and say we care about academics, I, I'm in no good position to argue with him because they're, they're actually they're, you know, what the, the way that they handle things actually uh, reflects that. But, but when you've got college basketball players flying all over the country midweek, tipping off games literally at 2 a.m. local time on, on, a, on a Tuesday, when you've got basketball players kept away from classrooms for the most part for four straight weeks in the middle of the semester, when your flying team is in on Wednesday afternoon for games that don't tip till Saturday night, don't try to tell me you care about academics. And so um, it, 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 it was just another highlighted hypocrisy. And again, if, if there's probably a better way for Shabazz to put it, but he made a point in a very public way, and it led to a conversation. It, and it, I, yeah, and, I that, and that, that's good enough. I want to just really quickly point out that someone, actually someone, GP asked the question in the post game. I think you had the first question, um, and then you talked to him uh, solo in the locker room after. But at the press conference, he said that this was premeditated. He, he mentioned he was laying down thinking about what he'd say. On Sunday, right? Yeah. Went, yeah, like, yeah. so this was not like we won. Oh, I, I want, like, he had thought about this. And, and I, I think I, that speaks I, largely to it as well. And I love that. Like, it wasn't just some off the cuff. We're the hungry, his, you, know, hip, you know, huskies or whatever. Hungry hippos. Yeah, <laughs> or the hungry hippos. I wouldn't mind if he said hungry hippos. You want me to tell you the truth. Um, it, it, he, he actually told me that he laid down on Sunday. and Because and, um, I knew when, when that moment happened. I knew that's what I wanted to write about because it was more than just a game. And, and it was more than just somebody won and somebody lost. I, you could write those anytime. Um, I, I felt like this was a larger moment. And yeah. um, so I knew I wanted to talk to him about it. So I went straight to the press conference, asked the first question. Then I went straight to the locker room and, and talked to him about it some more. And um, he told me, yeah. He said, I, 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 first off, I think it's awesome that he was <laughs> sitting around. Yeah, deciding what he was going to tell Jim Nance after he won a national championship. And he, he went out of his way to say, listen, I'm humble. Uh, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but I knew we were winning, and so I was preparing for that moment. And, um, and that he decided to use that moment not to shout out his fans or talk about how nobody believed in us because they are the perfect nobody believed in us story, you know? Like, yep. like I once heard Tyler um, Hansborough after the 09 title, you know, use that same moment, mm-hmm. literally the same moment, to talk about how nobody believed in us. 
Like that's arguably the greatest <laughs> team since since uh you know oh five UNC. They were know? preseason number one and the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Literally everybody believed in them, okay? <laughs> and yet he used that moment. So if Tyler Hansbrough can use it, certainly Shabazz Napier as a seven seed on a team that finished third in the American could use a nobody believed in us. But given the moment he decided to address an issue that's important to him, and even if he didn't state things eloquently, um, he stated things with a purpose. And um, I, I hope got us one step closer to realizing um, collectively that, that this system that we're using uh, in, in high major college athletics is, is, is fundamentally uh, ridiculous. Um, meantime, uh, since that story uh, ended on Monday night, we have another big story that, that broke this morning with UMass guard Derek Gordon um, announcing that um, he is gay, which um, by extension made him the first openly gay Division I basketball player um, in, in, in history. And uh, Norlander, I'll start with you. You've been around that team. Um, what what sort of impact do you think this makes on college basketball? Uh, I think you know what. I'm not sure. Um, Good answer. He's obviously Jesus. I'm getting there. <laughs> um, and by the way, first male openly gay D1 basketball yes, player. Yes, uh, that's that's worth clarifying. Yes. Yeah. Um, he uh, a solid player, really good influence on that team overall. Um, Derek Kellogg is a is a tremendous. Uh, coach in that program. I think he's he's altered a lot about that program. Um, I think it's a fantastic story. You know, Gary, you wrote the column today on basically why you know this kind of thing is a worthy headline is is an is a is an important story because eventually, and this is a good thing, um, the uh, the impact of this it, it, you know it wears away with each announcement, and eventually there will be no headlines because there won't. We won't need any, but you know, Gordon. But right now, in- it still is correct. Yeah. Gordon was inspired by yeah. you know Michael Sam, who was inspired by Jason Collins, that kind of deal. And right now, there's there are college basketball players playing D1 uh, right now that are seeing what Derek Gordon's done, and they are now thinking about when will be the time that they should make some announcement like this. We will have it. I I think we'll have another one of these within a year. I, I, in, how about before the, the summer's over? I was going to say, how about, we've had, how about we've before had three, the summer's over? When did Jason Collins do it? Uh, it was last. Jeez, it was. It was last, last, last a, April. It was last April, late April. It was less than then, a year ago. Yeah. yeah. And then Michael Sam did it recently. He, yeah. He did it. He, he the timeline the day out. after the Marcus Smart stuff. He did it. And yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So, uh, this is this is terrific. Uh. You know. He. More power to him. He's basically lived with this for a decade. I guess he told his parents like ten days ago. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, th- and you know what? This was uh the perfect time to to basically tell this story in my opinion because it's after the the rush like if he had told this the sunday before the title game it is it is there but i'm telling you it gets so overwhelmed that a lot of people forget about it here you kind of wait for the day after to die down for college hoops it's still in the conversation he announces it but he also does he opts not to do it in the dead of summer he opts not to do it right before the season starts it's almost like we're here we understand that college basketball is just dying down it gives us this thing that we're talking about right now we've it'll be on every major site but then by the time we get to next year yes it will be a story that we will write about but it's not going to be some huge massive thing it'll just kind of be out there he'll be he'll be able to be himself and uh and good on Derek Gordon for doing this I get so frustrated um by uh, readers or people who are followers on Twitter 
really when the Michael Sam one uh, announcement happened, because you immediately had people saying, "Why is this a story? This isn't a story." I don't. That care. annoys me so much. It's oh, unbelievable. It drives me insane. And so I just decided, like, I had things I needed to do to like today rather than than you know write a column this morning. Like, I actually I think I text messaged you guys and said, "Hey, I'm going to be out for a little while. I got to run some errands." But right. and then I was just like, "I'm no, I'm dropping all that. I'm going to write this because like for my own peace of mind and." Um, because what you get is people saying this isn't a story. It doesn't matter if if somebody's gay. And and the, those two things you need to separate those sentences. You can say it doesn't matter if somebody's gay or even a basketball player's gay. I got all that, but don't tell me it doesn't matter that that it is that it's not a story. And I think you have to know, look no further than Derek Gordon to realize how much of a story it is. He went out of his way. Keep in mind, this is a, a young man who um, who has said that he realized he was gay when he was in middle school. He's 22 years old now, so let's just round up and call it a decade. For a decade, he's been living a lie, and by his own admission, it's been hard, very difficult. He invented girlfriends. Now, I'm not telling you I never invented a girlfriend either, but he invented girlfriends. You know, I think you I, still are. <laughs> I might still be. <laughs> he invented girlfriends you know, to, to try to throw his teammates off of his track, so to speak. And um, if you talk to anybody – you know, it, it, it's 2014. At this point, I, I don't want to say we all because I don't have any idea, but I think most of us, you know, there's a gay person in our family, an openly gay person in our family. There's an, there's openly there's openly gay people in my family. There's openly yep. gay people where I work. There's openly gay people, uh, like, uh, everywhere. Like, you know, so we're all, like, this isn't 1950s anymore. Like, people, like, we're all very familiar um, with with these situations to the extent that they're situ situations and, and they go over incredibly smoothly. Um, so it's not a big deal if, if suddenly you've, you've got a, you know, somebody in your office is gay because we've all been dealing with that for a long time, but there has literally until today, never been an openly gay division one men's basketball player. And, uh, and, and until a year ago had never been an openly gay, you know, a, a professional basketball player. And if you want to get specific until Jason Collins was actually back in the NBA a couple of months ago, there'd never been one. And so um, you listen to Derek Gordon talk about this. And he said, um, when Jason Collins came out, Hey, I want, I thought I wanted to come out then, but it wasn't the time. And he went on to explain, I was still sort of nervous about it because yeah, it's great that Jason Collins came out and everybody knows he was in the NBA, but he wasn't in the NBA now. And was this going to be something that prevented that from happening? You know, right. we still didn't know how he would be pr pr uh, uh, treated in a locker room because, um, you know, presumably when he was in a locker room before, his teammates did not know he was gay. Or at the very least, he was not openly gay. And so um, he said the turning point for him was when Jason Collins not only um, came out, but when Jason Collins uh, was signed by Brooklyn, and he saw how he he actually describes this moment that I remember watching live, and it's Jason Collins in L.A. playing for Brooklyn, you know, checking into a game and getting a, a nice ovation from the fans, and watching Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and his teammates, you know, uh, welcome him uh, with open arms, figuratively and literally, and and. Derek Gordon is on record saying that's how I got to this moment. I didn't think I would come out for another three or four years. The reason I'm able to do this now is because Jason's Collins story was a story. And just, just like you said, Norlander, there's another guy out in there right now who has been probably struggling with this, who has been trying to figure out if he'll ever be able to come out to his teammates, friends, family. And, and, and you know, if you're a normal 
you know, a guy or more specifically a non-basketball player, maybe it's simpler to do. But but we, we've never known until now how somebody in a locker room um, would be treated under these circumstances. And what we found out with Michael Sam and, and with Jason Collins is that they're treated completely normally. You know, everything's yeah. cool. Everything, everything's cooler than even the coolest people must have assumed could be. And, and that led Derek Gordon to this moment. So when somebody asks, why is this a story? It's because without Jason Collins' story, you never get the Derek Gordon story. And the idea that we've had three of these inside of a year, we had zero forever. And then three mm-hmm. inside of a year, that's not, that's not a coincidence. They're all connected to each other. And, and uh, that's why, you know, uh, one day we will get to a point where it no longer resonates or it's no longer important to write columns about uh, these types of announcements. But right now it is still hugely important. And, and I struggle uh, with people who can't grasp that for some reason. And boys, I'll let you hop in here. But we're also notice, also notice how um, the timeline of this is getting shorter. You had Collins, who was older and also technically out of the NBA at that moment. Then you had Sam, who was younger but out of college. Now you've actually got a person in college uh, coming out. So what we're getting here is is people that aren't having to live to be, you know, you know, twenty eight. Uh, who was the um, who was the first NBA guy who did it long after he retired? I played with uh, the Magic. What's his name? Uh, maybe it's even a good sign that I can't remember his name. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about, GP? The uh, guy like two, three years ago? He played yeah. for the Magic. He like retired. Then he announced it. Oh, um, he played at Vanderbilt. Sure. <sighs> yeah. Uh, John. Yes, yeah. you're on the right track. Listeners are probably screaming it as we're doing this. Yeah. Um, it's going to drive me nuts. Amici. John Amici. John Amici. Um, so anyway, you got. I was going to say, say Michael Jordan. <laughs> okay. Michael Jordan, I was, Michael Jordan was is, on the tip of my you tongue. Know, you aren't having athletes that are waiting until their mid to late 20s or 30s that are, that are announcing this. Now we're getting people in college basketball that are doing this. So that's also a good sign just for you if know, you look at, if you, if you read the, the out sports version of the story, just the, you know, when people say, oh, why do you have to announce it? And like just the, some of the stories he was telling on how last summer when he he liked an Instagram photo of him and a guy in front of a gay bar. And people just like questioned about it, and he said he went into like depression about it. He had to go to like gay bars and clubs in New York City. People recognized him, and he like, you know, went into deep depression about that too. And that that's why he had to come out. You know, people say, why do you have to do it? Why do you, you know? Why do you have to announce it? You know, that's why because he was, he was just so, you know, he said he's never felt worse, and he he said no one should ever ever to feel like that. And you know, it's it's it, those were those stories that he was telling just kind of you know moved me a little bit. I don't have a single gay friend who won't won't tell you that being in the closet was awful and being open about it is it is the best feeling in the world not a single yeah. one with there's no exceptions to that you and just so, see his face during the during the the sports center interview you know he just he seemed like a huge weight that's been lifted off his shoulders. Literally, the first question of the interview was, "How do you feel?" And his answer was, "Awesome." Awesome. The worst yeah. word out of his first word out of his mouth was, "Awesome." And then he tweeted this earlier: "This is the happiest I've ever been in my 22 years of living. No more hiding. I just want to live." So don't don't ask me why this is a story. This, you know why it's a right. story? Because the first story that you were questioning, why is it a story? It led to, if nothing else on this planet, if it leads to nothing else, it led to. To this one individual, Derek Gordon, getting to do something, having the courage to do something that that has made him the happiest he's ever been in his life. That's that's why it's a story. If for no other and and listen, there's a hundred other reasons it's a story, but but that's why it's that that alone it makes it well worth um, a, a story. And I actually was 
you know, I, I was, I don't want to say inspired. That's overstating it. I wasn't inspired. I was basically just laying in bed. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I was moved to write it because of all of these people tweeting at me. This isn't a story. This is, can't believe you're just making Just look at the comments on the, on the post on CBS. It drives me crazy. I can't. Like somebody it's, actually just sent me a direct message, one of our friends saying, I hope you're not looking at the comment. I can't look. Like it, it, what you realize. Okay, so. So I, I was telling somebody earlier, I was like, listen, if I can just one of the one, one of these people who are tweeting at me and saying, why is this a story? If I can write 750 words and make even one of them go, OK, now I understand why it's a story, then I'm then I'll be happy. And I actually um, no, there have been a couple of people like tweet at me and say, hey, I was one of the ones questioning why this is a story. Now I get it. So like, OK, good. Then I'm happy I wrote the column. But then still I write the column. Okay, and I I couldn't make my case any more clearly. Like you can you can whatever you can think I'm an idiot, but like the 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 points made are pretty undeniable, and 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 yet there are still people like this guy tweeted at me. He was like, "Still not a story." I'm like, "I can't." Like, There's nothing I can do with you then. Like I just give up on you, right? I just get like I give up on you in every way I could possibly give up on you. I just can't. There's nothing you don't have, even if you want to be, because because you, you run into this a little bit. I mean, this is still a, 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 a an issue on some level rooted in religion. You know, people will, will I don't want to say hide behind because I, I don't think that's the right phrase, but people will still stand by the Bible and say that, you know, you, you can't agree with the sin. And, and I don't think you, ha- you know, I have to spend five minutes explaining to you um, what I think of that opinion. But, <laughs> you know, if, if you have that opinion, um, there's still that. But, but... Even if you disagree with the lifestyle, to whatever extent you can do that in the year 2014, you can't I, – I don't understand how you could disagree with the, with the point that it's a story. Like, like once upon a time, I guess there was somebody in America who thought women shouldn't be able to bro- uh, vote, you know, but, but when they were, it's a story, you know, no matter what. And so um, – it's just so frustrating, but by and large, the feedback has been really, really positive, and and um, I, you know, I I hope I could, on some level, in my own way, crystallize that for for somebody. Why? Just very. I'm not asking you to. I'm not trying to change your religious beliefs, but but if you're curious why this is a story, here's why it, it's it's a story, and um, you know, it's really nice. Like you, you really do. You know, if you just look at his Twitter timeline, I mean, and, and watch that interview that he did, you feel so happy for him. You really do. It's, like, it's unbelievable. He, it seems like like he's not, you know, we all talk about this is the best day of my life. This, it really does seem like this is the best day of his life. And the idea that he's probably lived for 22 years fearing this day, the day yep. where people would know he's gay. Think about think about the turn of events it must take to, to spend most of your life fearing this day. And then when you get to this day, actually having it be the happiest day of your life. That's a pretty remarkable deal, right? It's no, yeah. it's absolutely, uh, it's terrific. Um, I, I, I don't want to totally spin this the opposite way, but I feel like we should mention uh, the other story from today, which is not happy at all, but uh, probably deserves a quick mention. Sure. Uh, you posted on it this morning, uh, Parrish. This oh. one actually is kind of uh, unreal in how fast it happened. I didn't realize it was this dire, Neither but. Did I. Um, yeah, so uh, do you want me to set it up? Do you want to set it up, GP? Or? You, you, you know the story. Tell it. All right, so um, 
Yeah, Adrian Payne befriended this uh, this young girl named Lacey Holsworth earlier this season. Jason King wrote kind of the definitive feature on it. If you check Bleacher Report, just Google Jason King Bleacher Report Adrian Payne, and that will bring up the the story. But um, there was a there was a little girl, eight years old, who had cancer, and uh, she and Adrian Payne became like genuine friends. I mean, they kind of from the middle of the season on were uh, were seen together often. Um, it was an extremely uplifting uh, and touching story she was at the final four she was she, she was, was at, at the dunk contest she was at the dunk contest uh where adrian Payne had like this terrific showing actually and she like kissed the ball she was part of the celebration uh and unfortunately she died early wednesday morning which is just absolutely devastating um you know, she was known as uh, Princess Lacey. Adorable Lacey was her Twitter handle. Um, so before we got the Gordon news, this this was actually for about two hours um, the big headline in college basketball. So I just felt that you know her story, which you absolutely should read. You if you're listening to the podcast, you've probably heard about it. But if you have not read Jason King's story, and there's plenty of stuff out there, uh, it, it, it please take the time to give it a read uh, in her memory. Um, just uh, really depressing, really sad, really tragic. But when she was here and was able to inspire him and that team. I mean, Michigan State, the AD, Izzo, they all put out statements on it today. Um, just, a, just a tragic loss here um, and just felt that, you know, she deserved to mention. Just the worst thing in the world to wake up to. And I, I'm like you guys. I didn't realize that it – obviously, I knew it was serious, right? And I knew it was yeah. um, uh, terminal. But she – we saw her like five nights ago. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Like it wasn't like we saw her in a hospital room five nights ago, out in public, um, you know, looking as 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 beautiful as as she's looked, and 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 seemingly as 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 healthy as she could be under those circumstances. And so, um, I, it just never occurred to me that that the end was this close. And and I, I, you know, I woke up this morning to take my son to school, and I do what I do every single morning, which is, you know, I get him up, get him in the shower. And then I immediately jump on my phone to see if anything happened overnight, if there's been a, a, a resume scandal at South Florida or anything else, you know? And, yeah. um, and I, I see that, and, like, I almost couldn't believe it. I was like, what? Like, you know, like, you, you have to sort of, like I, – I, like, I scrolled down some more and started doing, you know, Twitter searches for it and seeing, like, is this real? Like, what? And it's just – awful you know I, I live in the memphis area and so you know we have st jude children's research hospital here and I, i've spent a lot of time over there like i have good friends that work there um you know they've asked me for whatever reason to, to come over and and um uh mc events before and and spend time with the kids before and it is truly one of the the most awesome and inspiring places um that you could spend the day but it's also one of the saddest because you, you're looking at these children who are, you know, as, as I've always said, like, it, it sucks anytime somebody deals with, with cancer, right? I mean, it's awful. But, like, you know, like, like my grandfather died of cancer. And um, it sucks, right? I mean, he's my grandfather, for crying out loud. But he also smoked his entire life, and he got lung cancer. And so you can sort of connect the dots, and it doesn't make it any easier to, to digest. But you can at least explain it. You can connect it to something. Um, this kind of stuff, you can't connect to anything. It's just unlucky. I mean, you know, Lacey was just unlucky. You know, like my son, you know, uh, fingers crossed, has been lucky to this point. Both my sons, they're, com like, remarkably healthy and awesome. Um, but but only because they're lucky, not for not for any any reason bigger than that and and this young girl she got unlucky and and uh 
and 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 you you in all these kids at St. Jude, you 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 see them and they're fighting and they're 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 they're, they're doing everything they can and their parents are just being put through it, man. I mean, you can't un- like you guys aren't parents, you cannot understand what that must be like. I can't understand what that must be like, and um, and 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 so to see Adrian. You know, we've all watched him develop into a, a terrific basketball player over the years. But to see him develop into somebody who, you know, uh, took took the time to a even meet this girl, but then b develop this kind of relationship with this girl and and genuinely make a difference in her life. You know, like like a, a tangible difference in her life. I was watching videos over this morning, just crushed and and. You, there's this one thing where you know, one moment where somebody's asking her about Adrian, and and she says, "Every time I think of him, I smile." And it was just like, you know, yeah. that, that's all it takes. It didn't take him like dunking a basketball for her or reading a book to her. Like every time I think of him, I smile, and um, it, it was just the sweetest thing you could ever anybody could ever say about another human being. And um, I, I was just like, you know, uh, it, it's just an awful thing to wake up yeah. to this morning. Yeah, no, just uh, I, I, fe- I just felt it kind of deserved to mention. Um, I don't know if you have to read our, our <laughs> the most awkward uh, segue ever, GP. But I don't know if you wanted to read the Squarespace no, thing. I, I, I feel like we should um, at least give some credence to the final. Like Wisconsin, Kentucky was a good game. We haven't kind of talked about Kentucky yet as well. Did you want to kind of hit on the other stuff on UConn related well, to well, the final four? Well, I think it'll be interesting to see now what happens with Kentucky. I think we most of, most of us agree. And we already know Wisconsin's team's basically coming back intact. You know, Kaminsky could have theoretically turned pro, not going to. Sam Decker could have theoretically turned pro, not going to. Um, Kentucky guys, we still don't know. Julius is gone. I think everybody understands that. Willie Colley-Stein, as I've been told, gone. James Young, I've been told, gone. Um, the one that um, – the the two that appear up in the air to some degree are the Harrisons. But, uh, you know, talking to people, I'd be surprised if they're back in school. Yeah. So – um, it, it was just. I thought it was I, interesting. I think the Lakari Tar- Johnson is still kind of sort of up in the air. I think he does return, but he if could he wants first time pick, of course he could, right? You know, like yeah. So I mean, um, my guess is they'll have Alex Poitras, Dakari Johnson, Marcus Lee back, and then and then add to it a recruiting class. This is that is really good, but not great. Not like the one they just signed. Not like John Wall, Demarcus Cousins. Not like Anthony Davis, Michael Gilchrist. And so um, it, it'll be interesting to see. You know, John, try to piece all this together again because they'll be less talented than they were this year. And and it was it was. I watched him talk a lot over the past week, and he went out of his way to explain, you know, how difficult you know that job is. You know, starting from scratch every year under the pressure that exists at Kentucky. And there was even one moment where he said, you know, I look at my press conference, introductory press conference from five years ago, and I don't yeah. look, I don't look the same yeah. anymore. Like I, and it reminded me a little bit of like you know, you look at. A president, right? You look at Barack Obama like eight, eight about, years yeah. ago, and he doesn't. Exactly. He looks twenty years older, and like John looks ten years older than he looked five years ago. And so, um, you know, here we go again, right? Uh, they'll be good. They'll be talented. They'll be more talented than most. But um, you know, it must be awesome for somebody like Bo Ryan to sit there and go, "Okay, I, I know what I got next year." And John still, he won't know what he has for certain. Uh, until they get on campus, and probably not long till after that. It, it is it's it's a hard way to make five point five million dollars a year. Uh, that's <laughs> pretty much the way we can say. It. I mean, I think I think all the freshmen are gone except Dakari, um, who obviously. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I meant, I meant uh, the guys that started. Um, you look at Dakari, and he seems like one more year, and he'll really be ready. Uh, we'll see. But for Kentucky overall. I mean, 
if you're a Kentucky fan, you kind of take what you got there. I mean, if it was take take what you saw or chance anything else, I think you take what you saw up and down season, make the make the title game in, in dramatic, thrilling fra- fashion. I mean, Aaron Harrison to have replicated what he did. I mean, back-to-back games to hit that shot, just uh, just unreal. Um, also, and- next, next year is going to be different around this time because they're, they're two guards they have coming in, Tyler Ulis and Devin Booker are both – you know, three or four year players. So I think that that's going to be a good, good thing for them. They need some sort of continuity from year to year. Uh, that'll be interesting uh, just yeah. to get those kind of guys in there that will be so clearly different. Um, you know, the problem, of course, like for those guys, is that if you're a three or four year player at Kentucky, you're you, might get, you might get recruited over it. <laughs> exactly. You yeah, absolutely. They're going to recruit over your head. You'll yeah. start. You'll start as a freshman and then and then be on the bench as a sophomore. I would assume. Um, yeah. I how about the, how about uh, how about Rex Chapman kind of just making us all kind of pause there, like thirty minutes before the game actually tipped on Monday night when he was tweeting that Cal to the Lakers was a done deal. Yeah, that well, was... you can't obviously go that far with it. I mean, he could have reasonably tweeted, Jeez. "I'm hearing this," but when you start throwing around "done deal," like done deal, it was done know. deal to coach Mamba's Lakers was the tweet. <laughs> Listen, if the Lakers want John Calipari, I think he'll be the coach of the Lakers. I, I don't yeah. think I don't think there's a scenario under which he would turn down the Lakers yeah, because you can't turn he, down. he would he would he would tell you he'll never. Never take a bad NBA job again, but the, the Lakers is not a bad NBA job. It's a bad team right, right it's now. The Kentucky of the NBA. Yeah, yeah, you know, best case scenario, you're coaching LeBron in a year. Worst case scenario, you're coaching Kevin Love. You know, like that's the worst. You get Kevin Love to come back home to uh, the West Coast, and so. Um, it, listen, I, I, I've said this on radio shows the past couple of days. People ask, so what do you think? If the Lakers want John Calipari, he will be the next coach of the Lakers. I don't know that they do, but if they do. Yeah, he's gone, as would most people in this world. Um, you know, the Lakers are the Lakers, and that's a great job, and that's a great city. And so uh, we will see. Well, listen, I know we've uh, all got things we got to uh, get to here. Porzello's a radio star these days, so he's got uh, uh, radio interviews uh, coming up momentarily. So let's uh, wrap this thing up. And uh, I, I guess if we wanted to, we could talk throughout the summer, couldn't we? Uh, I mean, I, I would still like to speak with you guys. Yeah. I, would, I would like to speak to you as well. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm totally. I mean, eventually we gotta. Once we know who definitely is staying and is going, we can talk about our off-season top twenty-five and one. Right now, Wisconsin's at three for final four teams. We got Wisconsin three, Florida five, Kentucky seven, and then the national champions are all the way down at nineteen because obviously they lose their best player and uh, Daniels is certainly expected to go before July. We could talk about what cities you could step on homeless people in. Yeah, Norlander, do you want to say anything to the homeless people of America before we sign off? Trying Anything? to think, yeah. Okay, so so Parrish, Parrish wore a hat that made him look like Tyrone Biggums at the Final Four. That was ridiculous. I was great every day. Borzello was definitely not great every day. I'm just trying to think, what did Borzello do that we could rag on him for? My historian's comment was pretty rough. Oh yeah, yeah. You want to you want to break that down, GP? Yeah, we were talking. I don't remember. Awesome. This was after a long night. We were in. Uh, we were uh, in between. Um, whatever we were in between. I think this was post-dinner, but pre-something. And, this um, was post-dinner, yeah. where we ate with random Oh, yeah. Egregiously name-dropped. It was the most oh, random. Oh, bro. Jeez. Yeah, bro. Jeez. Let him eat dinner, but, you know, in, in anonymity. In not anonymity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go, Borsello. Yeah, Randall, Randall, Randall Cobb was at our table. That is true. Um, um, so, um, and Chris Weber was at the bar kicking it. Was he really? Kick, you didn't know that? Yeah, Chris Weber was at the I bar. I didn't see him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um... 
So we were driving around, and I don't remember what I was talking about, but I was saying something about that. that Ely Plaza. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't. It was something about those those who. Uh, I think we were driving past Ely Plaza though when when it all came up. I was. We were talking about history, and then I was using that cliche. Those who uh, who do, fail to understand history are, and Borla, Borzella said historians. And I was like, no, that is the opposite. Uh, historians are people who actually understand history. I, I said, I don't know why I said that. You, you could not have answered more incorrectly than historian. Like, if you were trying to pick the word that, that most, uh, most missed the proper uh, answer, uh, that, that, that word was, was historian. So uh, congratulations. But I will tell you that you, you didn't step on any uh, unfortunate humans. Yeah, I, oh. there's, no, there's no violence on my end. He didn't. It wasn't <laughs> violence. I, I barely nudged a homeless guy. I'm not proud of it, okay? Not proud of it. GP's trying to make it sound like just I seems like just uh, listen, listen. I can't speak for you. I just think no, you can't. I, I just think for me, had I had I um, had I stepped on a homeless person, I would have checked to see if they were okay, and then would have checked to see if there was right. anything. Um, if there was see anything. what they would see. See if you get them a warm meal. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, just maybe a warm meal. I gotta. Hey, with that Norlander, I have to let you go. All right, hey, it was great seeing you guys down here. You got to take a nap, actually. It was great seeing everybody. We'll be back at some point. I can't promise you when, but I promise you so. Take care.